Welcome to the B2B Mix Show with Elena and Stacy. Each week, we'll bring you ideas that you can implement in your own marketing strategy. We'll share what we know and advice from industry experts who will join us from time to time here on the show. Are you ready to mix it up? Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I'm Elena Jackson. And this is Stacy Jackson. We're the co-founders of Jackson Marketing. And in case you haven't heard, we're also sisters. We're bringing you episode 16 of the B2B Mix Show. Elena, what's the topic of today's episode? Today's topic is perfect for our fellow entrepreneurs and friends in sales. This episode is all about creating a killer email sequence. That's right. And we've got an expert here to give us all a little advice on how to accomplish that killer level email sequence. Today, uh, joining us is Sean Finder, CEO of AutoClose. Sean has always been an entrepreneur at heart. At age 24, Sean entered the entrepreneurial world after competing as one of Canada's top ranked tennis players. He started out importing packaging from the Orient and selling to top retailers in North America. However, knowing he always loved selling and list building, he founded Exchange Leads in 2013, which helps his company build quality lists for outreach to new prospects. This venture was followed by his new company, AutoClose, in 2017. Sean, welcome to the B2B Mix Show. Thank you, Stacey and Elena. So, so excited to be here with you um, and, uh, and talk to your audience. We're excited to have you here. I, I, I love that you play tennis. I played tennis in high school, but probably nothing at all close to, to how you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you were top ranked in the whole country of Canada, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, but you know what? You, uh, you, know, you're, you guys are in Tampa, Florida, and actually the best tennis academies are in Florida. Um, so when I actually was younger, uh, now it's going to be about 18 years ago, I was actually training in Sarasota um, oh, with wow. the Nicolaterius Tennis Academy out there um, while I was competing. That's pretty cool. That's just right down the road from where we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, a fun fact that we get to learn about you. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about AutoClose and uh, your company and how that came about and just give us a little bit of background. Perfect. Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of background of myself. So I actually, uh, I graduated with an MBA in finance, was um, always wanted to go down that finance route. And then I worked a few years at some of the big banks and I'd be on the elevator going up to, to my desk and, and nobody would talk. I would be, everyone would just stare at the computer screen inside the elevator. And I'd be like, this is not going to be my life. Like I, I'm very social. I'm very outgoing. You know, you say good morning to people and they would look at you like you're strange. So, yep. um, so, so what happened was I actually got an opportunity and because of tennis, I, I actually blame, I say all of it's because of tennis. I'm in my networking at a young age and competing at a young age and always talking to people. Um, I always wanted to become an entrepreneur, but I, I figured I knew the finance from my, my schooling, but I need to learn more sales. And I had a little bit of sales experience. So um, my first venture, Exchange Leads, which is, was a data company. Um, I was a VP of sales after my finance life. And what happened was we would have sales reps and they'd be you know, trying to prospect cold calling or emailing. And the data quality was just very poor. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to mention the company we we're using, but it was a billion dollar company. I was like, How's a billion dollar company providing not high quality data? So with exchange leads, I basically took a model that already exists. And my goal was instead of providing quantity to provide quality. So built exchange leads, um, worked with top 
top data companies like VMware, Microsoft, et cetera. And then our clients would say, yes, well, we love your data, Sean, but we don't know where to email to. Like now we, we have the data, but where do we go and email these people? So funny enough, um, and I'll tell you the honest truth, it was instead of paying the Canadian government a lot of taxes, I said, let's do some R&D and build a new platform, which is AutoClose. So AutoClose is a sales engagement platform that allows you to automate your outreach, personalize your outreach, and follow-up sequences, but we are the first and only with a built-in database from my first company. So if you want to target 50 VPS sales in Florida, you can go in, you can build out your cadences, you can go in, choose VP of sales in Clearwater, Florida, press start, start that campaign, travel the world, and, and AutoClose runs and automates everything for you. Okay, cool. So is it it's primarily helps them to engage with using email? Yeah. So we do provide phone numbers inside the platform. You don't have the access to call directly from the platform. But yeah, it would be more for emailing um, or sales outreach to try and nurture people through, you know, seven, seven follow-up sequences or mm -hmm. a killer email sequence until they reply and say, Sean, Stacy, um, I'd love to have 15 minutes to talk to you. Okay. That makes sense. So that's pretty cool that you combined your previous company, the data, with this, and it gives you a really good, robust tool, is what it sounds like. So that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And we we found, you know, I found one, you know, sales leaders were looking for kind of consolidation of different tools because now you have marketing tools, CRM tools, sales tools. So we felt having the database inside would be a great asset to sales leaders. That's the reason why we built it. The database, is that available to everyone or do people need to bring their own data to upload into it? How does that work? Great question. So you have both options. So option A for auto close for the sales engagement, you can actually upload your own CSV. You can upload your own contacts and target your own contacts. The database inside is only US contacts. It's only B2B contacts and it's an added cost. You would pay and lease the database, which has about 30 million contacts, you pay an annual price, and then you get to search and filter and email those people from our database for, for, uh, for a lease. Okay. So Stacey, you got any questions before we dig into some email sequences? Let's get on to killer email sequences. All right, folks, before we dig into this topic, we are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. <laughs> All right. First off, Sean, can you explain for our listeners a little bit about the difference between a sales email sequence compared to like marketing email nurture campaigns? Yeah, perfect. So, you know, for example, we, you, we, we do a lot of marketing campaigns as well. So the difference between a sales email sequence and a marketing email sequence would be the following. If you have a newsletter or you want to, or you just published a, a nice blog or some content that you want to send to your, your newsletter subscribers, you might use an email marketing platform or a marketing automation platform to send those pretty HTML emails that would try and nurture them and, you know, obviously um, create value and provide them content. The sales side is more of a personalized text email approach. So the way we actually combine both is we have our weekly newsletter that might be sent through, for example, a MailChimp. We send that out and then we'll take our four to five stars or the people that kind of like, you know, raise their hand from the marketing and then throw them into the sales funnel where it's more, okay, now that they've, they've heard about us, they've heard about our company, we want to get them on a 15-minute demo with one of our SDRs or they want to get them on a 30-minute call with one of our account managers, et cetera. 
So that would be the difference is the text versus more the HTML pretty um, content uh, driven emails. Okay. And those would be more of like a one-on-one, one-to-one email? Exactly. Exactly. So you would personalize as much as possible um, by you know doing your due diligence, knowing some interests of that person. Um, for example, I'll give you, you know, if you're a property manager, maybe in that email sequence, you might put what the dimensions of their property are, et cetera. So you want to make sure you make, you have that really personal touch in that sales email where on the marketing side, it's more, you want to, you want to build that brand, you know, and, and get that, um, that prospect to trust you. So when it comes to actually creating then that, that personal one-to-one email sequence, is there a magic formula that you would recommend following? We have, I have the little list of several different points, like email length or is there a messaging approach you would recommend? Yeah, perfect. So there's a few different things that I, I always recommend. Um, in your email sequence, what I find a lot of people are doing nowadays is if they're going to email someone, they say like, you know, their first email and their first line might be like, hi, my name is Sean Finder and I'm the CEO of Autoclose. Well, when you're emailing somebody in a sales sequence and they already probably know somewhat about something about you, you don't want to talk about yourself. You want to talk about the challenges mm-hmm. or something that can resonate to that prospect. Therefore, you know, if I said, if I was talking to a CEO, I might say, if I could triple the revenue of your, or triple the revenue your sales reps are bringing in, you know, because CEOs, buyer's persona might be, you know, they want to make more money, for example, or an SDR might want to get more demos. So if I said, to an SDR, you know, if I can, you know, triple your bookings on your calendar on a weekly basis. So I think the, the biggest mistake people are making is that kind of that first line mm-hmm. where they're talking too much about themselves and not enough about what the challenges of that prospect are. Do you find that that's what a lot of salespeople do? Because I know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Benjamin Dennehy, but he does training for cold calling and he says, don't even introduce yourself. Just tell them it's a cold call. Don't even introduce yourself and just start finding out, do, do you have this problem? And I'm sure it's the same thing with emails because you you can't help it. A lot of people just want to say, hi, I'm so-and-so. You know, is that something that you find a lot of times that people just have a hard time breaking that habit? Yeah, I I find a lot of people just say their first name and their company. But if you think about it, if if you email me right now, (laughs) I know your name is Stacy. And I know you're with Jackson Marketing Services because your email says Stacy at Jackson and at Marketing Services. So... (laughs) I already know that because I've, I've opened the email. I've, I already know that information. So I, I don't, I don't, so a lot of people, the biggest mistake is they talk too much about themselves and they try and introduce themselves. But if you go right into a problem in that first sentence that your prospect might have or a challenge they have, you'll get a lot better open and response rate by doing that. And it's, but one more thing I want to say is whenever you send an email, 75% of people now open their email on their phone. Well, guess what? They can only see those first eight words. So if you're saying, my name is Sean Finder at AutoClose, right. they're not going to open it because that's all they're going to see. But if you say, I can, sa- I can save you seven hours a day in prospecting, they might open it. That's so true. I read that little intro part and I decide whether I'm going to open it or delete it a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a recommendation that you would have to go along with that opening line that re- is in regard to the subject line? A hundred percent. One thing about AutoClose is we were finding a lot of people love the platform, but a lot of people had trouble with the content. They didn't know how to write an email or they were writing, I don't want to say this, but very poor emails. So we had to figure out a way, how can we help them with their subject line and their body? And a lot of people in their subject line would be like offer or 50% discount or like anytime you use a number free, discount, a number, something like that, or you have it eight to 10 words, 
people aren't going to open it. A, they know you're just going to promote your product you're trying to sell. Or B, if you're writing an eight to 10 word or seven word subject line, it's the same thing on mobile. People aren't going to see it. So what I like to do is keep your subject line between two to four words. And funny enough, the number that I would say the top two subject lines that we find is A, high first name. So I could be like, hi, Stacy. And B, if you just say like quick follow-up, quick update or something with quick, because it feels like the reader almost says, okay, this is only going to, this is going to be very quick for me to read this or quick for me to reply to it. So those two subject line work really well, but keeping them short and concise is the recommendation I would give. For personalization or customization, are there tips that you would recommend? Like, I know you don't want to say, hey, I see on your LinkedIn profile, you live in Florida. I went to Florida 20 years ago. That's not a, a good connection. So are, are there personalization tips that you recommend that people should use? Yep. And that's, this is later on in the sequence. So what we do is we try and track what people click or what actions people take. So for example, let's use Stacy again for an example. Say Stacy either A, went to my website, uh, B, clicked on my calendar to book an appointment but didn't book, C, went to my Twitter account, or D, we actually track all that so that you can create a custom campaign to those audiences. And I can say, you know, so say for example, I get all the people that clicked my website. I go, Stacy. You know, I noticed you were on my website, um, but didn't but didn't book a demo. Is there anything I can help you with, or something like that? Because because I know they visited the website, or I know something about them. People know you kind of did a little bit of research, but if you just cold spray and pray, I, I call it, um, your results will be a lot less. So personalization is key. Um, I always try and personalize inside my subject line as well, simply because you want the person to feel the the whole feeling of the sales is you want it to feel one on one. And not like a mass email market to, you know, a thousand people, for example. So maybe we could um, talk about, because you mentioned something being later on the sequence. What is the perfect sequence? The number of touches? What should the, the point of each email be? Yep. Perfect. So the length of the sequence varies. Um, and that all depends on, A, is this a very, very cold prospect that's never been nurtured through some sort of marketing um, campaign? Um, if so, you might want to do between eight to 10 follow-ups over 30 to 45 days. However, if it's somebody that was, you know, going through my newsletter and getting my weekly newsletter and, and, or for example, coming to this, you know, coming to the podcast we're doing today and coming every week to the podcast, they're more warmer because now they've heard of Stacy, they've heard of your team, they've heard of, you know, Jackson marketing services. For them, I would probably do a five to seven sequence. Now, so, to, so the difference between cold and warm would be, you know, five to seven and eight to 10. Now, one more thing I think a lot of people do inside those sequences and is a big mistake is do not write long emails. Your initial email should be almost 50 to 75 words, like literally two paragraphs, but each of those follow-ups should not be more than two, three sentences. And they should be almost, mm -hmm. so, you know, one, one two tool, one um, tip that, I, that we do is, um, I'll start a campaign, for example, let's say I start, you know, on this, this coming, you know, on a Monday, let's say a Monday, my second email might be on a Friday. And I'll just say in the email, my first one might be just, um, just following up as we close out the week. And I know I'm sending that on a Friday. So they're going to get that on a Friday saying just as, you know, as we close out the week, my next follow-up might be on a Monday. And as you can guess, my first email might be just checking in as we, as we open up the week or just checking in as we, we start the week. So keeping it as personalized as possible and making sure that they feel like it's one-on-one -on -one, um, is very important in that sequence. And lastly, try and have it all in one thread, meaning 
if you're going to send an email or six, seven emails, make sure it's all followed up with the, maybe the RE in your subject line. So they know that you've, you've followed up them more than once because most, mm -hmm. most people aren't going to reply to your first or second email. Um, people are just busy nowadays. That's interesting. Cause I get a lot of sales emails and they don't keep the thread. It's a completely new one. So that's a, that's an interesting, um, way of doing it because it does, it helps them to remember that you have connected with them already. Yeah. And, and, and if you're lucky, I mean, I know, for example, me, when I get a first or second email, um, I might not reply, but when I get an eighth to 10th and I'm like, you know what, this guy's being persistent, even if it's a no, even if I'm not interested, I might still reply and say, you know what, I'm not interested, but I appreciate the persistence. What do you think about people who in that final, uh, guess I call it a kiss off email or whatever, where they're trying to <laughs> rattle somebody that last attempt where they use humor, like, oh, you must be stuck in a burning house or whatever. Does that, is that starting to backfire on people? I know so, at first I thought it was kind of cute, but now it's getting a little. Yeah, it annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to tell you. So funny enough, I used to do that. I used to be that guy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why I changed and what I said. So I used to say, I don't remember, I used to say my last email would be like, um, I've emailed you 14 times now. I've called you 17 times now. I've checked your LinkedIn. I've visited your Twitter and I still can't get a hold of you. Like, you know, something mm -hmm. very funny. And this was like three, four years ago. And people, like when I originally did like five years ago, people loved it. But now people don't. So what I do in my last email now is I don't mind if I get a no or a yes, but I'll send an email like this. You know, I follow up with you a few times now. Can you let me know? Which one of it is it? Is mm -hmm. it A, you're just not interested in the product. B, you're using a competitor. C, you don't have the budget. D, um, you know, uh, you just you're just not ready yet. You want me to follow up in a few months, and then I'll get like an answer A, B, C, or D. But at least I got that answer, and I can engage. So if somebody says, "Well, yeah, we're using one of your competitors, so we're not interested." Oh, which competitor are you using, and what do you like and dislike mm -hmm. about my competitor? So I actually start my engagement by getting that A, B, C, D, and and stopping with my uh, my funny humor, which I used to think was funny, but uh, prospects definitely didn't think so. I think because more people do it now that it's become less of a surprise and a delight and more of a, ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and people just are trying too hard with it. And I think that that's where it, it was good at first, but now it's like, eh, just tell me what you want. <laughs> I, I just I just made a note here saying do not send Jackson Marketing <laughs> Services funny emails. <laughs> oh no, we love funny emails. <laughs> funny just cold don't send us that funny kiss yeah. off email. <laughs> what about video? How uh, do you think that that putting a little video in the sales sequences is a good thing? One hundred percent. Which is why we just um, we did an integration with Vidyard. Oh, okay. um, we just did it. And we have a partnership with Vidyard, another Canadian company where, and especially nowadays, not a lot of people are doing it. A lot of people are starting to do video. They're all over LinkedIn. They're all over everywhere. Instagram, every, every marketing channel is all about video and YouTube, but no one was doing an email. Some people are, and I do it in our sequences. I do it for a few things. So in my sequence, if somebody after three, four emails, you know, does not reply, I might actually send them a quick recorded demo inside AutoClose saying, hey, I know you're probably busy, you don't want to hear from me, but here's a three-minute video of how it works. Mm -hmm. But what I'll also do, for example, I had a webinar, we did a webinar yesterday with Calendly that had about I think, uh, over 400 people. And what I did was this morning, I sent a video. And I personally said, 
a video insight to everybody that attended and that didn't attend saying, hey, I'm so glad you attended. Thank you for showing up. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me. I did an actual thank you video to all the people that attended the webinar. And a lot of people like that because they feel like it's a more personal touch. They don't have to read an email. They just click play um, and they can watch it. Now, one thing I will say about video and emails, and most people don't know this is, for example, if we use Vidyard inside our platform, you get an email with how much of that pr video that prospect watches. Therefore, if I see that Bill watches 92% of my videos and Kevin watches 8%, well, you know where you should be spending your time when you're prospecting. So that's a great tool that Vidyard has, and they actually send you that email. That's nice because you know how long they were engaged and maybe where they started to get disengaged, and you can adjust accordingly. Exactly. So are there things that salespeople should be thinking about when it comes to spam? compliance and GDPR. I know a lot of people think of those as marketing concerns, but are there things that salespeople should think about when it comes to monitoring those issues? A hundred percent. I mean, so what we do, I will talk about like, you know, there's, spam, there's GDPR and there's Castle and there's CanSpam, um, so, which is, which is the, the exact reason why in our database, we only actually provide US contacts because of GDPR and Castle here in Canada. But what I would recommend, and w which is one thing we implemented is, we actually highlight spam words that are in your content now. Because the way you're gonna go into spam is a few reasons. If you have you know, many words like you know, discount, free, uh, millions, great, those are all spam words. And there's a lot of spam words people don't know are spam. So inside your email sequence in AutoClose, we highlight those spam words in yellow. So you can actually adjust them so you get a higher chance to being delivered. Now, the second thing I would recommend is links. Try not to have too many links in your email. As a call to action, you should probably have one. But even in your email signature, if you're putting a link to your Twitter, your Facebook, your website, your other social channels, your G Plus channel, your YouTube channel, those links all will also contribute to putting it to spam. So you want to make sure... You have the most important links, but not too many. And I know I have a lot of links in my email signature. So that's something to think about. And I know we marketers love to put our pretty logos and images. Does that kind of prohibit some emails from getting through if you've added a logo or whatever? It, it does. To, yeah, it does to a certain. I mean, I have my picture in my signature, but it does add a little bit. You know, nowadays, though, you know, the, the Googles, the Microsoft, the, the, the servers are very smart. So... They, they send a lot of the emails that come from marketing into like a marketing or promotions folder, mm -hmm. which is why with ours, we're more of the text emails. Um, but to be honest, you know, it all depends on how many spam words you have, how many links you have. You know, if you're using the word free or discount or stuff like that, try and take those out of your vocabulary because those are the key words that actually throw you into the spam filter. Are there other things that we haven't talked about related to the email sequences that you think is important that they need to know about when you're creating those sales emails? A tool I love, and I actually did a webinar yesterday with is Calendly. And, you know, nowadays, sales automation is great, but having a scheduling automation in there as well. So it's as easy as, you know, for example, Calendly, you can actually embed in your sequence. So whenever I do a sequence, I always say, um, you know, a, you know can, if you can find 15 minutes on my calendar. So instead of having that back and forth, email back and forth saying, oh, well, what time are you available, Bill? Well, I'm open Tuesday, Thursday. Oh, I'm not available Tuesday, Thursday. What about Friday? Are you going back and forth? Get a calendar link. I think you can get it for free, actually, or you can pay like $9 a month. Get a calendar link, put those in your email sequences, because it's basically you can have somebody click on your calendar 
book a time with you, have it automatically with your, your screen share in your description. And it basically automates the whole scheduling start of the, of the funnel. So I would definitely have um, a scheduling tool. And the other thing is always have a call to action. Don't just send emails to send emails. In your mind, you have to know what you want from that email and what you want that prospect to do. So if you want them to book a meeting with you, do that. If you want them to listen to your podcast, tell them to do that. So make sure you have that call to action inside your sequence. And one more thing I'm going to mention about sales emails is, and it's probably the most important, is know your buyer's persona. Okay. Every person that's buying your product is buying it for a different reason. Your email to each person has to be different. So for, I'll use auto close for an example. If I'm going to reach out to a CEO, CEOs want to make their company more money. If I'm going to reach out to a marketing person, a marketing person is probably going to want a database of high quality contacts. If I'm going to reach out to a national sales manager, they're going to want their regional sales manager to outperform or get more meetings. And an SDR might want to be able to book more appointments. So make sure you know what each person's buyer's persona is so you can actually build your sequence to those buyer's persona. And that will really, really help with the opens, the deliveries, and the replies you get. So on the part where you were talking about Calendly, we've used Calendly before, so we're very familiar with it. But I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was a CEO and a CMO, and they were talking about they hate it when people say, hey, find some time on my calendar, because they feel like it's making it all about them and not about the customer. But they did say it's all in how you say it. So have you noticed? Have have you noticed that that is the case as well? That even though you're giving them their your calendar, is it dependent on how you say 100%. to book the meeting? Yes, one hundred percent. So I'll I'll say for example, I mean, we I do have people that sometimes when I send the calendar out, they're like, I want to have a call. I don't want to book on a calendar. But the way you say it is very important. So what I do and it works, and it's maybe a little bit pushy, but I always never ask. I never say please find or can you find. So I don't really ask them to find. I almost make like, I already, we already have the meeting. And so I'll be like, here's my calendar so you can find a time that works for you. So not a time that works for me, but a time that works for you. So I try and make it about them and not about me when I'm sending that email. But I try not to ask. I almost try to like, right to tell, but without telling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered that. I was like, it. you don't really think about it being that way. But I guess a lot of times on the other side, well, you're making me do all the work or just the way that it, it comes across that the way you ask can have a huge impact. So what would you say the number one or the most prevalent error people make when setting up sequences are? Is there something that you see just constantly all the time that you're like, why are you doing it this way? Yeah, I'll tell you something. I'm going to give you a funny example of what happened with one of my clients. So I think the biggest thing is people talk too much about themselves. They don't talk about enough about the challenge. Like we discussed earlier with that first line. I think that's the biggest mistake. Mm -hmm. um, the second mistake is buyer's persona. They don't know who their buyers actually are. So they might be sending an email that might not resonate to the person that is reading the email. The third thing that I would say is that they don't focus on what they want the, the, the prospect to do. You have to have a call to action. You have to have a reason why you're sending the email and you have to be able to how to analyze those results. And here's the funny story. I got a call two weeks ago. Client calls me and goes, Sean, I've been using your platform. I have to tell you, I have a 0% click rate and it's really bothering me. And I don't know what it is, but something's wrong with your platform. And I'm like, sorry, like, let me, let me find out. <laughs> Obviously, it's your platform, right? <laughs> 
Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, like, can you please like, he's like, well, you know, you guys say you're going to get results, but I have a 0% click rate. I'm like, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, my customer success team will look at it. So, and when, is it, when it escalates that high, I like to get involved to see what exactly is wrong, like what's going on with, with auto close. So we go in and he sends us his temp, his, his email that he sent. Now, I, I didn't know how to say this in a, in a, in a nice way. I, I said it in a nice way, but I'm like, <laughs> well, sorry, sorry, John. The reason why you have a 0% click rate is because your email actually had nothing to click. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no link in the email. So he should be judging replies, which is he had a, he had a 6% reply rate, which the average is one to three, which is great. He had a 0% click rate and he was mad that he had 0% click rate, but I'm like, he didn't even have a signature. He, he had nothing in there you could even click. And that's what he was. So, so those are, so those are the things why I say content and, and stuff like that. But that was a, a really funny story. And, and in our intercom support chat, we're all like in our notes are like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> we, have to, we have to be nice to the client. We're saying story John, but you need to have a link to click yeah. to get a click. So that's a, kind of a funny story we had a few weeks ago. <laughs> so when somebody's sequence isn't working and they're frustrated, do you have like a checklist of, you know, here's where you should start and try to find out where it's maybe gone wrong. I guess number one is, did you have a link to click? Well, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, for that answer, that was a, that's like an amazing question because that was something we had about five months ago where we had a lot of our clients saying like, you know, our template, it was, it was doing so well and now it's kind of stale. So what we actually did now, we measure inside the platform, we measure per email. So now we can see emails one to six which ones are performing, which ones are not performing, where people are falling off, et cetera, in that sequence. So that's a great question. But we, we find that it all depends on the, the process. Like you got to have a plan when you're sending email. Like you can't just send the email without saying, you know, for example, maybe, you know, in the second email, maybe doing a case study, build more trust, uh, maybe send a marketing blog or, a, or, or, or send it, you know, you know, for example, we're doing a podcast on email killer sequences. So in my next sequence, you know, to a cold prospect, I might say, you know, in the email number four, like, hey, you know, like, I, I know, I know I haven't heard back from you. We actually just did a podcast and it was about killer email sequences. It might help your sales team. And we might send them this podcast. So always nurturing them and helping them. But uh, we've had, we've had some clients that if I, I can, I can sit here and tell you stories that, and make you guys laugh, but uh, I'll only tell you the click one right now. <laughs> so obviously email, uh, Sequences can have a big impact on uh, making more sales. But are there other things you'd recommend to do throughout that sequence for a full multi-touch or multi-channel sales game? A hundred percent. And one thing that has worked really well for us, and I'm a big advocate, I do it all the time, is it's kind of like the social touches. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is inside a sequence, what I will do is if I see somebody's opened my email or taken an action, I'll do different things like add them on LinkedIn. Okay. Then I might like, share, comment, or endorse those four things. And the reason why is you can do all four of those things on LinkedIn. You could like, share, endorse, or comment on a post and don't have to talk or send them an email. So for example, if I actually do it with contracts even sent out, if I have, we have a, I have a campaign inside AutoClose, a campaign that is with quotes that are sent out. So if I, if I send a quote to somebody I haven't heard back from them in a week, I'll just like us something they did on LinkedIn or I'll just comment or I'll endorse them. And anything you do there will automatically on LinkedIn show, oh, Sean Finder just endorsed you for a marketing skill. And they'd be like, oh, you know, I, I forgot to email Sean back. He sent me that quote last week. 
And I find it really helps to get engaged. It helps to build trust. So social touches for sure. And then if you want to mix in some, some cold calling, you can as well. But I find the social touches, you know, using Twitter and LinkedIn really, really works well with cold prospects, warm prospects, existing clients, or even quotes are being sent out. I noticed you didn't mention send an in-mail to pester people, which is my biggest pet peeve when people do that. I usually tell people just actually connect, yeah. but don't actually, just, don't just connect and say, oh, I'd like to join your network. Tell them why. So say, you know, you know, hi, hi, Stacy. I'd love to join your network because I'm a really big fan of your podcast. Something like that. And then you're more likely to get them to connect with you. And once you have a connection, you've won because now you can share, you can tag, you can endorse, you can like, you can do all these different things and touch them a hundred times. And for example, now, because we, we post a lot of content and videos and stuff on LinkedIn, whenever we send a cold email to our, for example, our MailChimp list, we have people that respect us because we provide high quality content. We do a lot of videos. We do a lot of podcasts. I don't even have to really sell them in a sequence anymore because I've already built that comfort zone and that trust with my clients and prospects. So how do you recommend they go about the endorsement part? Because mo most likely you've never worked with this person to be able to endorse them on certain things. And like if somebody that I don't know endorses me for something that I'm like, well, they don't know how I am with this. They've never worked with me on this. So how do you go about picking what you're going to en endorse them for? Because there are some things that you can endorse them for based on activities that they're doing and things like that. So how do you make that determination? So it seems authentic. Yeah. So what I do is I'll usually go inside LinkedIn. I'll check either posts, articles, or stuff they've commented on. And I will look at them. And if they did a big post on, for example, killer subject lines, like say I did a sub, say they did a post on killer subject lines. I would then go in and if one of the things I could endorse them with subject lines, I would endorse them that because I could easily even comment on their post saying, Hey, I read your killer subject lines. I was really impressed. And then go right and endorse them two days later. And now they've known I've commented on them. Mm -hmm. So they know I've read their post and their blog. And then I, when I endorse them, they know, Oh, he read my blog and endorsed. That was really nice. Okay. Of so that makes sense to kind of go about it that way. But there yeah. are some people that definitely do not do that. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. I might be one of them sometimes. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> we have a, a fun question for you. So if you weren't doing what you're doing now, okay. what would be your dream job? Um, my wife will kill me. But <laughs> professional poker player. Oh. I, I, I love, I love, I love, I've always been competitive. So I, as you know, I used to play tennis. I've always been a big, big, poker player, not in fun games and stuff. I've played, you know, in some tournaments, but um, it's been a hobby of mine simply because there's a lot of thinking, a lot of stuff you have to do at the table. It's relaxing for me. So even on my spare time, when I travel to Florida or Vegas, <laughs> my two places, um, I'm at the Hard Rock <laughs> Hotel a lot when I'm there. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I would mm -hmm. say professional poker mm -hmm. player, but uh, yeah, as I said, don't, let's not tell my wife because she'll, uh, she'll not like the, the, the gambling side of that. Cause she, she already, she already thinks I gamble a lot. So. <laughs> Well, at least you could potentially make some money from it. See, that's that's what I say. I say, you know, I, I, when you go shopping, you're spending. When I play poker, there's a chance I could win. Right. <laughs> well, are there any additional tips you want to share with our audience about sales emails? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is um, for salespeople in general is, you know, and I don't like to say this word, but a lot of salespeople nowadays I find are, are lazy or they give up after one email or two emails. Yes. Keep in mind that now everyone in the world gets hundreds of emails a day. Everyone is busy. 
Most people are not going to reply to your first or second email. So don't get down on yourself. You have to be persistent, but you have to have a sequence of at least six, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten emails to get, especially someone in C level or VP level, because the last thing they want to do on a Monday to Friday is, um, is answer cold prospect email. So be persistent. Don't give up. Don't be lazy. Spread out those sequences. And hopefully you'll see those leads and those high qualified leads come in. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And everyone, now you have the info you need to get your email sequences performing at their best. So take Sean's advice, take his tips and make it happen. So if people want to get in touch with you, Sean, what's the best way for them to do that? If you want to get in touch with me, email me, Sean, S-H-A-W-N at autoclose.com. You can try and connect with me on LinkedIn, but I think I have too many connections. You might have to follow me on LinkedIn so you can follow our content, or you can go to our website, autoclose.com. But if you have any questions, email me or our support team on our chat on our website with any questions about sales. It could not even be about autoclose, just about sales in general. Ask me and I, uh, I, I usually respond right away. And we'll include that contact information in the show notes, as well as some links that you gave us, Sean, earlier about some B2B sales handbooks and 673 years of sales excellence book. So we'll make sure all that's in the show notes for our listeners to review. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. and. If people want to get in touch with either me or Elena, you can hit us up on social. On Twitter, you can find me at S-T-A-C-Y underscore J-A-X. That's Stacy underscore Jax. And you can find Elena at A-L-A-N-N-A underscore J-A-X. And not a Twitter fan, you can find us on LinkedIn. And you can also download the Anchor mobile app to leave us a voicemail. We might use your message on next show. Thanks for joining us and have a great week. The B2B Mix Show is hosted by Stacey Jackson and Elena Jackson of, you guessed it, Jackson Marketing. If you need help with your B2B inbound marketing efforts, visit us at jacksonmarketingservices.com.